0: What's going on Wildcatters, it's Jake Corley here with Digital Wildcatters and want to give you guys a quick update. Six years ago, Colin and I came up with the idea of bringing a South by Southwest style event of energy to Houston. And this October, we're manifesting this dream into reality. Is it a crazy idea? Absolutely. Because our mission of Fuse is to bring together the builders and the innovators in energy that are transforming how we produce, distribute, and store energy. But in order to do that, we have to bring together all subsectors of energy oil and gas, renewables, hydrogen, nuclear, geothermal, utilities, and battery technology. This is unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And on top of that, we're taking over five city blocks in east downtown Houston, four stages with three content tracks seven venues and expecting north of 2000 attendees if you're looking to showcase your technology we've got expo space for about 100 companies as well as the opportunity to demo your tech live on stage come join us october 26th and 27th here in houston to experience more opportunities for networking learning brainstorming and career changing connections than ever before at fuse 22 tickets are now on sale at digitalwalkheaders.com forward slash fuse F-U-Z-E. I, I, Hey
1: everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast, in my continuing series to figure out why we almost had blackouts this summer. Sean Kelly was cool enough to come on and let me see if I can pronounce this right. Amperon.
2: You got it. There
1: we go. I mean, it's, we
2: made it up out of nowhere. So my co-founder coined it and we're like, yeah, this works. And so we'll be like, Ampere. Amp. But when you're playing with energy, uh, amp is a good, good route to start go. with. I like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: I still struggle with Aegis. It's spelled A E G I S the guys that help with trading and hedging. And I know same. who
2: they are and I would have for sure pronounced that incorrectly
1: yeah no, exactly.
2: So anyway, it's hard making them names, but every other name is like taken, it seems so
1: well that's that's the running joke that every energy company today is a pharmaceutical name because <laughs> they all, it's like, okay, let's get seven random letters together and we'll cut you know we'll cut two letters out of there. no vowels, you know or Pfizer
2: drilling. no.
1: So real quick, tell me who you are and tell me about the company. What do you guys do?
2: yeah absolutely um so yeah sean kelly i'm the co-founder and ceo of amperon and we started the company in new york back in uh i guess end of 2017 early 2018 and we're venture capital backed and we've moved headquarters back to houston because that's where all good energy companies should be based and what we do is demand forecasting so what on the electricity side so what that is is we go in and we say how many meters do you have and you say i am a big energy company and i have 50,000 meters i say great i'll take everything um and so we take those meters and then we give you a forecast on the short term basis that over 15 days updates every single hour and tells you this is what i need to buy next hour and the next hour and the next hour so you can imagine back to february of 21 we were very wrong uh, as 35% blackouts, we do not calculate uh, outages into our platform. But that's what people look at um, is that 15-day forecast. And then we have a five-year forecast. And the reason a five-year forecast is important is because of the energy transition. So if you have rooftop solar, you no longer your house no longer looks the same. And so we would forecast that every week and be like, oh, Chuck's house doesn't look the same anymore. He obviously put solar on his roof great now here's what your energy company should buy for the next five years so um that's what we do and then we started in texas uh went right next door to wait australia after that okay. so we met them on linkedin they were like our grid is totally screwed uh and we would love for you want a big load forecasting competition you want to come hang out with uh, amo which is the australian energy market operator um it's I think ERCOT for australia um and then after that we launched in pjm new york new england and miso uh so covered the east coast and then we launched alberta canada um california and then we'll close out the year with um southwest power pool and then early next year we are headed to europe um so electricity a megawatt's a megawatt doesn't matter where you are uh and we want to forecast it so that's our uh That's our thesis and what we do. And it's been a really, really fun journey coming up on uh, five years now.
1: No, that's cool. So basically what you're telling me to make sure I understand is let's use ERCOT as the example, because I know a little bit about ERCOT. I mean, ERCOT basically has power generators. Then you've got power companies that in effect sell retail, sell to consumers of some sort, you're the software that's telling the power suppliers how much they need to go buy because this is how
2: much. Yep, exactly. There's, there's two parts of everything, right? Supply, demand. And so we focus on the demand side. So our big client base is retailers and we also have some municipalities and cooperatives in Texas. Um, so we cover, um, <laughs> there's 11 million meters in all of Texas and almost 2 million of them are, our, are on our platform. So we're telling everyone, Here's what you need to do Uh, about 2 million homes. So, yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty cool sales journey, Uh, better than I would have expected if you had asked me four years ago. So I had Campbell
1: Faulkner on the podcast, call it, I don't know, six weeks ago or something. And we talked about how the grid got to where it is. We went through kind of deregulation, we're pay for power only. We kind of sleepwalked into looking up and 30, 35% of our grids renewables and okay that's part of the problem here but that's really kind of the generation side on it is there anything we can do on and we and we talked about prescriptions how do we make it better we need more base load maybe we change the system where you can be a renewable but you got to pay a penalty for not being dispatchable whatever the case yeah yeah I would think given your insight on consumers and stuff is there anything we can do on the demand side of it to not have blackouts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I oh, mean, and
1: let me throw one more thing at you. I'm sorry, it. I'm cutting you off. Because back uh, back in the day, I was an oil. and I started my career as an oil and gas banker, and in 1998, I think oil went to twelve dollars a barrel or eight dollars yep. a barrel. So I had to figure out something else to do. So I googled internet and hydrocarbons and ran around and was a power technology guy because that's I'm way sexier than oil and gas. But we kind of had this thesis about the grid and just if we're going to move from a world where the grid powers a mechanical device like your refrigerator and you have a glitch, who cares? It cycles on, cycles off. Nothing bad happens to a world with microchips. You had to have reliability. So I actually spent some time on the grid looking at demand and all. And my punchline to you is I don't think anything's changed since then. It really didn't.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the power lines outside your house are the same power lines outside your house. Uh, So I I would I would agree and disagree with that. But I love the fact that you said you you looked at oil and when it was like twelve dollars or whatever a barrel and you're like, I got to find something to do. So I did the same thing. Uh, It was March 31st of 2016 and I was trading at a a small like um, prop shop in Chicago. So I spent my first 11 years as an electricity trader. Um, and so no one knew what an electricity trader was. So people were like, "Hey, so what do you think of Facebook stocks going to do?" I'm like, "I have no idea. I don't honestly care." Um, but I walked myself out of there uh, when it hit a dollar sixty-one. I was like, "This is a terrible way to make a living." Um, and I had another company that I've since sold that was going to like these big commercial buildings uh, and helping them understand like, "Hey, this is how like you can reduce your your." reduce your demand, but also how you can lock in your demand. Because it's a sixty one natural gas. It's not going to be here forever as we sit in a $9 environment now. Um, so when and help people like lock in those like five year contracts. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting that you were like, this is that not how I want to make money. And I did the exact same thing uh, in 2016 and then started a tech company. Um, but with that, um, back to the pros and cons of like what's changed on the grid. I think a lot's like from an infrastructure side, not a lot has changed, which is why behind the meter so much has changed. And so infrastructure, power lines, they're there. They're not getting upgraded. Like you're in it to win it. It's the grid is 100 years old. Um, It was very, very forward thinking at the time, but those days are gone. Um, As we know in Texas, getting like, where is the wind? I didn't see any windmills driving here from Midtown to your office. There there were no windmills some, for some reason. Uh, maybe I went the wrong way. But it's all in South Texas, and it's all down on the coast, right? And so there's not power lines to get it to Houston, where we are, where everyone lives. There's not power lines to get – there's more so to get to Dallas just because West Texas is all over there. But it's just the infrastructure is not there. So that's where you've got to kind of come back. To like the behind the meter, and that's a making your house more efficient. Um, my home, like my home, was built in 2020, and it's the it's 10 square feet smaller than the home I grew up in uh, in Sugarland, and so my electricity bill is half what my parents is because we've got 1989 versus 2020, and so things are just so much more efficient. Like,
1: what are some of those things?
2: I mean, they do everything from like the windows, the insulation, and then you can like the appliances. But then you can also go deeper and be like, hey, guess what? The new Inflation Reduction Act just passed. And so you can put solar on your roof and they're going to pay you like $9,000 to do it. And then, but then you take the counter of that, like, and you're going to plug a Tesla in your garage or a Ford Lightning, which everyone's obviously very excited about in Texas. And you can get a $7,500 credit for that. So all of the, that type of the what's happening at your individual meter is changing a ton. And that's Why Amperon is important, because we are paying attention to every single meter and running a new forecast for a little over 3 million meters now across the United States every hour. Um, So that's what we're paying attention to. And then you're going to see the next step of like telling electric vehicles how to charge. Like once this EV penetration everyone wants so bad, like they built a truck, you can actually get Texans on board with something as opposed to I don't see all of Texas trading their F-250s for Priuses. Um, the, the, the but, soccer mom's car. That's yeah, exactly. always called
1: So Colin McClellan's take on electric vehicles is he's really bullish on them because they're just great cars. I mean, I drove a they're Tesla. fast. Oh yeah. It's like souped up. There's, you know, no wheels are spinning. Right? Oh yeah. And, and so anyway, he is bullish on them because of performance, but yeah. his knock on them is why do they all have to look like soccer mom cars? I why completely can't have agree. Something that looks cool.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think I think you're heading that way. Like getting forward into the game is definitely helpful. People who actually know how to make cars, right? You've got EV companies and they're trying to make like, again, at times I agree. They can look soccer mom cars, spaceshipy. uh, That's a word. And then then you've got like, hey, I still want what I have. It's so, like for me, for instance, I like I've got a one year old and wife. And I have no idea that when you have a little like, I don't know, 23 pound year old pound human they come with four thousand pounds of crap and so i didn't know that it was not in the owner's manual when he was born and so we have to have an suv and but i also need an suv they can get to like visit my brother in fort worth and so i need a long battery but like looking down the list like the rivian's like 96 grand the tesla x is like 120k like Still running a startup here, ladies and gentlemen, like <laughs> not exactly haven't had that liquidity. My, my, that. my Ferrari budget's a little low. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to do that and you've got to make one for the everyday people. They said the average EV and this I think, includes hybrids is $54,000. We got a Jeep Compass that we got for like a little under 30. Like that's a big, big jump there. Well, pre-pandemic, we sold
1: seven million cars a year in the United States, give mm-hmm. or take. Six million of them were forty grand or less. Yeah. You know, so if, if they so want to make the the penetra- fifty four, yeah, you gotta yeah, find it penetration rates. You gotta get it down below 40 if if you wanna if you
2: wanna hit that. But so, the EV thing is crazy. Like I remember I remember in high school, like laying out all the like uh motor trend and like road and track and everything, and we'd all sit at the lunch table and go through and like, make- this one cracked like four seconds, zero to 60, whatever. And it's like some souped up like quarter million dollar car. And now you get the Tesla like Model 3, like the the cheap one, the, the everyman car. And you like tap that thing and it's just whew, done. You're just off like a rocket. So, yeah, I think from a performance standpoint, not having to get the oil changes, the like all of that. Yeah, I think it's great. I think I think it's definitely going to hit. Um, but back to what we talked about earlier, power lines are still the same. So my whole street gets them. Your whole street gets them. You all roll in at six o'clock and you're like, yeah, I'll go ahead and plug it in. You're done. It's lights out. You're finished. Um, And so that's where you've got to have somehow people at home understanding the different signals of like when they should and shouldn't be doing things. So I think.
1: And doesn't that have to happen at an AI level and not a human level? Oh, yeah. Cause, yeah. Because if I if I show up and, you know, if it getting in the way of me grabbing a beer, you know, <laughs> plugging in. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but are we going to have, is that where we're going to go? We're going to have smart homes where yeah, you in effect have something sitting there going, all right, now it's time to charge this. Now it's time to shut off the refrigerator.
2: Yeah. I think that's, it has to be that. I'm not going to text you and be like, Hey bro, it's over $500. Do you mind? And you're like, I got people over. There's no way like I'm throwing a party, not happening. Like you've got to have that that little bit like if you go out of town like yeah raise your house like we just got back from three weeks in New York guess what we had the house on 85 because it wasn't like but I had to do that by hand for whatever reason they didn't put a smart thermostat in the house and so I had to like literally go push it to 85 but you don't want to like manually do that and you don't know when you're not sitting there hitting refresh like you know when it's hot outside but if it's really hot outside and there's like 10,000 megawatts of wind eh it's not a big one it's not a big event if it's pretty hot outside but there's a bunch of power plants out and there's no wind for the day then like out of nowhere you think it's fine and then the price goes through the roof so that's where it's a little different you've got to be able to tell the everyday person about market signals um which is what i think that's also what gets us to like like on the path of like the energy transition uh and all the all the like net zero goals that the country has.
1: So how far off are we from that? Is that five years, 10 years, 27 years? Could do we, does the technology exist today? It's just costly. Where Uh, where are we? If you had to handicap that,
2: let's see, we're in 2022. I think that I think about 10 years. uh, I think you could, you could get there. Cause the other thing you've got to think about is like, as with, smart appliances and things like that when do you plan on getting a new refrigerator
1: yeah good i have no clue yeah when never. that one
2: breaks yeah never exactly when the beer's hot yeah. and yeah. so great or right, so if you don't have a one or you may be like okay we're gonna move this one to the garage and then like whatever but like at the end of the day like you've got to wait for these things to take it's like natural progression when are you gonna get a new car eh, i'm gonna like when this one breaks when like kid starts driving and you gotta do a hand-me-down like whatever you're not just gonna like trade it in every six months or whatever um and so I think that's the thing is you're gonna have to have that full life cycle so I think like a 10 to 12 year um stat like standpoint is helpful and I do like what's happening with the inflation reduction act because now it's saying like hey it is expensive like it is pretty expensive I had a really good deal on my electricity and sadly the contract ended. It was from one of my early uh, early clients. And so now I have less of a good deal. It's still like very nice hookup from one of my clients, but it's, it's getting expensive. And so before that, I wouldn't think about putting solar on, but also if I had an EV, which I'm considering then, and I had solar on my roof, okay, great. And like some of my appliances are pretty smart cause the home's pretty new and like some are just not. And, like, the thermostat, no clue how they stuck that in there instead of a nest um, when they built the home. And so, yeah, you just kind of look through these things. But what I like about it is that they're like, hey, I'd like you to buy a clean car. Here's $7,500 to do it. And you're like, 54000 7500 Like, all right. Like, it's a little bit easier, right? You are know, like, fifty six or $46,500. That makes it a little easier. Like, solar, I'm not sure if I'm going to put it on my roof. Hey, we'll do, like... Here's the overall cost savings plus $9,000. And you're like, hmm, okay, this is a little more advantageous. So that's the type of thing because it's expensive to outfit your home to like fully do all of this. And so that's why places like California do it first because it's really freaking expensive to have electricity out there. So they're, they're dealing at a number that's like two or three X what ours is for the end user. And then we're like a low ball, but now ours is getting higher. So we need to start paying attention.
1: Yeah. You know, I think dad, so dad put in solar panels and the Tesla batteries at the house just cause dad, my dad's the early adopter. Dad bought the first VCR ever made, but then he never upgrades. You know? <laughs> that's, that's always kind of been still dad's watches schtick. the VCR. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he got solar panels and the Tesla batteries and his payback was about 12.3 years.
2: It's a long time.
1: It's a long time. And you know, my. Comment to him was like, dude, you're 80. <laughs> I <mean, what's> <laughs> so I've told this story a million times on the podcast, but I'll tell it again. So, Winter Storm Uri, yep. I'm sitting there in Richmond and I'm in between the police station, the fire department, and then whatever poly Oak Bend Hospital. Uh-huh. So I think I'm never going down. right? Yeah, now, I'm on the part of it. Boom, goes down. Yeah. So I show up over at my parents' house. I got my cat in my cat carrier, <laughs> bag under my arm, walk in, sit down, and Dad under his breath like, 12.3-year payback doesn't sound so bad right about (laughs) now, does it? It's like, all right, fair enough, Dad. But
2: That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, no, it would be. So I think I'm going to make this as a statement, but you correct me if I'm wrong. So everything that's happened on kind of the residential side, what you just said, your bill is half of what your parents' bill is, same size house. Yeah. um, Had to have happened on the industrial side as well, maybe even exponentially more just cause there would be more savings.
2: Yeah. Or? Uh I would say it definitely does, but there's only like so much you can do. Like if you have, a, if you have a brewery, then uh, I guess I'm just really thirsty. Um, if you I have brought up beer
1: first, you did so, bring up yeah. beer
2: first, uh, but yeah, so if you have a brewery, so you're sitting over there and you're like running car block, Right. And so like, there's not much else you can really do, uh, right. to lower that. You can do a little bit. So where that comes in, here's the big thing. So we have uh, in Texas, and you probably covered this uh, with Campbell before, you have four CP, so four coincidental peak. And so that is, there's 15 minute period, one in June, one in July, one in August, one in September. And they look if you're a commercial or industrial client and see what your usage was. So that's the highest load on the grid. So when we tapped over 80,000 megawatts on the grid, it was that 15-minute interval, the biggest one for each of those four months. So each of those are worth a quarter, and then that's how the next year center point tells you this is what your transmission or like TDSP uh, charge is going to be. So if you act appropriately and you have some flex, even at a brewery, like you don't want the beer to go cold, but nonetheless, you can also like stop, like stop manufacturing, stop canning, all of that. So you say, hey, I normally use five megawatts. I can take that down to one. And then CenterPoint will be like, man, they're great guys over there. Like they only used one megawatt. So then they get charged on transmission for one megawatt for the rest of the year. They're normally at five. But because they were well-behaved those four 15-minute periods, then they get a huge, huge savings. So that's the savings that you can do um, like here as a commercial or industrial client. So the on the energy efficiency side, it's less so because like, You're making beer, you still gotta make beer. But that's where you can come down and you can massively back down your transmission by telling ERCOT, look, when things get tight, I'm happy to be like a good advocate for the grid. Um, It's essentially you're selling insurance. So you're like the insurance provider for ERCOT. And you can even submit into these demand response programs. Then you have to back down when ERCOT calls you. Uh, And so ERCOT will call and be like, "Carbuck, like back down stop making love street you're like oh okay great um and so they'll do that and then you'll back down to the like predetermined amount that you agreed with ERCOT on and they pay you as an insurance provider so that's where commercial can really really be a good steward of the grid um so I think there's about I think it's it's a big two-way but like I think it's like three thousand megawatts on the grid that can actually like back down and that's also what these data centers that's what like governor Abbott is. Like trying to draw these data centers in because the data centers can like instantaneously almost be like stop mining and then just drop down. And so there's like, I think it's like three gigs in the queue for data centers as well.
1: Cause yeah, so I had Nathan Magoo, who is CFO of BASA. Okay. which is an oil and gas producer, but really their focus is water floods. And I don't know if you know much about how water floods work, but think just a massive plumbing operation Okay, where like 1% of the fluid you're skimming off is oil and 99% of it's water. Okay, So you know how you get soap out of a sponge? Yeah. You run a bunch of water in there and you squeeze right. it, right, to get all the soap out. Well, that's kind of what a water flood is underground, Interesting, if, if you will. So- Think of a big plumbing operation, tons of electricity, right? Yeah. And uh, he came on because what he wanted to talk about is he's like, hey, I was in the Lars program for ERCOT every year, right? Yeah. And they would call up and they'd say, hey, got an issue for a couple hours, please shut down. We'd do that. We'd get paid. You know, oh it yeah. Worked out
2: great. It's that. That's a great program. That was the first gig I ever had. Was managing that at Tenaska. Oh really? Yeah. Yes. So it had all these big massive plants and that was awesome.
1: Well, what what Senate Bill three from 2021, the response to your yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes everybody winterize and stuff, came in and said is if you produce more than 50 MCF of natural gas, you are deemed critical. Yeah. And part of the LARS program, one of the things you have to qualify is you are not deemed critical by anybody.
2: So oh, all of a sudden, huh. these
1: massive water floods that have loads of 25 megawatts, 30 megawatts, 35 megawatts, but they make 52 MCF of natural gas, oh. are like, we're deemed critical. And, yeah, 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 And so, you know, the Railroad Commission just blew that, right? The, it should have been, hey- It's kind of what
2: the Railroad Commission's good at.
1: Yeah, exactly. Blowing things. <laughs> yeah. Uh anyway, so so what the railroad commission should have said was, you know, hey, if your load is way more than the gas you produce, and we'll figure out some metric to convert yeah. it on, you you sh- you're not deemed critical. Their claim is we're gonna figure this out kind of through the hearing process. But the flip side is, does somebody want to spend half a million million dollar in lawyer fees to go through a hearing process when it's like, I don't want to shut down anyway? Yeah. Uh and so the the Lars program had about three gigawatts participating in it. And after Senate Bill three passed and all, got down below two gigawatts participating. But yeah, and I don't know if this is in any way, shape, or form has anything to do with my podcast. But post the podcast, we're back, I think we're back up to like two six or something. Okay. And and the railroad commission has started hearings on it. Yeah, it, yeah. it's getting better. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting you brought that up because I actually think there ought to be a large program for every single user of electricity on the grid. That that it just doesn't seem to me the technology should be that hard. I mean, you guys are forecasting it. Yeah. So we know what's gonna happen. We ought to be able to have the smart house say, All right, Chuck, sorry, but you told me if I could save X amount of money, I can take the house from 68 degrees to 75 for two hours. And, but it's been that way for 20 some odd years and it hasn't happened
2: So there's a little bit, not really in Texas, but like California has a program that like Tesla created a program that just went and they're like, oh my gosh, this is what we did. And I was like, Ohm Connect's been doing this for a long time. Like they were, they were kindly in our like series A press release, um, awesome company. And so they go in and they aggregate homes and then tell all the homes like, hey, if you do like Chuck, Sean, if you can do this for me, I'll pay you this. And so they put all of it together. So they've been in Texas for a little over a year, really cool company. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's possible. You can go become a user at Ohm Connect. Um, I know that they have like an investment from Google and like, because of that, they had like Nest thermostats they were handing out so they could monitor and they've got little things in your house where they can actually kind of like, not overly take control Um, but like a little bit take control so yeah there's companies doing this ERCOT as a whole they don't have the technology and they'd have to like it'd have to be like the next generation of smart meter that also lets people take like control of the house a little bit and then you've got all the like Texans that are enemy of the state fans and they're like they're not taking control of my house right uh so I mean yeah there's programs out there there's companies doing it and like home connects one of the best ones I think of Uh, in our world it's called vpp virtual power plant and so it's exactly what it sounds like there you're by backing down you're creating that excess and if you create that excess across tens or hundreds of thousands of clients and everybody gives a little then you aggregate it together and it's a virtual power plant so yeah that's something that a lot of people have paid attention to there's um i've got something in my inbox that i need to read about like how this bill affects like the VPPs out there. But yeah, it's it's definitely doable. And um, the home, like from an emissions target, getting the home to behave properly is like the last 20% is what I understand. And so that's where they're like, no matter how well we get, because commercial industrials like like the gentleman who was on here with like the LAR program, like, yeah, he's like making hundreds of thousands of dollars, like during those events, could be making millions of dollars. That's fine at the home. You sit there and you're like, hey, I need to take my home from like, I'll bump it from like 72 to 74. But like, I'm not going to 78 with like a small kid. My wife will kill me and that's not worth six bucks. Um, And so th- I think that's where it is. But I-, I would be like, don't charge my car. Like, don't run the washing machine, different things like that. So I think there's different, like different degrees that each person's willing to, willing that's to do. That's a
1: good point that maybe there's just not the, on a percentage basis, you could actually do something meaningful. But at the end yeah. of the day, if your electric bill's two fifty and you save ten percent, that's twenty five bucks.
2: Yeah. So what I like is if they would let you take that power and sell it back to the grid and you could be like, anytime it's over a thousand dollars a megawatt, I'm totally that's a dollar a kilowatt hour. And like that's a big number. Most of the like plans right now are in the um, like, I don't know, like in the teens, like 15 cent range probably and so if it's at a dollar be like i'm selling back great um and so i think if you did that and let people like game the system and be like okay i'm only if we're only if we're at the price cap will i back down and i'll you give you that entire spread that's where it's interesting or if like electric vehicles become like bi-directional charging where you can say hey instead of i've got all this juice in my car right now we're full because i charged last night and haven't gone anywhere then you can push it back to the grid that's what i want to do i mean obviously i was a trader for a lot of my career right. so i just want to sit out there and find as much arbitrage as possible but that's what um people are doing with like electric buses for instance electric buses are great when do kids go to school like i don't know 7 a.m to like buses should be like hard stop done by like 8 30. so then if you had that and then like when do they run okay great you've got like the afternoon the whole rest of the time you can sit there and like act as a battery on the grid. That's something I actually find interesting. Uh if you can use your car like from a bright bi-directional standpoint and like make money arbing the grid essentially. Well that was what I
1: forget which hurricane it was, but my mom called me and like, you know, being a good sweet mother, make sure you have batteries and blah 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 and all that. And I and back when I used to drive a Tesla, I was like, mom, I got the greatest battery on the yeah. planet. You know, if I need to go out charge my phone or do whatever you're right because it's so back in the the late 90s early 2000s when i was doing power technology type stuff mm-hmm. you know the the whole thought was because the the way the grid works and everybody knows this is you have one day and it's usually in texas it's in august where yep. you, you know you've got the huge demand so you got to have power for all that because in effect there really is no storage yep um so the the peaking component of it one company we almost invested in its whole mission was you got all these backup diesel gen sets everywhere that sit around and do nothing all year long yep. let's just kick those on for the hour that we need it you know on that hot august day
2: yeah or whatever
1: the case may be is cuz so you've taken it the next step further and said it's car batteries, but there's a lot of generation out there. That's backup. that's yeah. never really used. The, be-
2: the best thing I forget when this was, this was a couple of years ago. The grid was just like, you see like the ERCOT map on the web website and it's like color coordinated. And when it's like dark red, you're like, we're screwed. Right. But, uh, Formosa down in like South Texas, the big, I guess chemicals, uh, company, they literally, they flipped everything and like pushed all their power out and so you had like you had like the old like uh the like map of Texas and like right here was a little dot that was like green and everything else was just bright red and they're like we're taking care of our people we're good stewards nice. and I was like respect like this is the coolest thing ever and obviously like the big evil chemical company and they're like save the entire neighborhood what's up there, so yeah. I thought that was pretty cool so yeah if you're if you're big enough and powerful enough if you're Got the ship channel to do that or something. You're absolutely right. Like there, there is that capacity somewhere that we can like we can make this work.
1: Who would ultimately be in charge of making that happen? Is that ERCOT that ultimately? Because at least back in the late '90s, the problem was is you had a local utility, right? right? And they had they were fully vertically integrated. They had generation, they had power lines, and then they went all the way to the house, and they. You would think you were trying to steal their children if you said, Hey, I want to be able to sell back into the grid. Oh no, it'll blow up, you know, all yeah. these rogue generators. And I've talked to some some networking type people that are like, no way, the technology's pretty easy. You can you can sell yeah. power back and forth. It's few inverters and and it happens. So who who actually is stopping this from happening today, oh. if you had to guess?
2: I still think it's the technology. I still think it's just not there. And yeah, there's definitely not. Like, ERCOT, like, their goal is, like, keep the lights on. Uh, And so I always picture, like, the ERCOT control room is, like, you ever watch, like, Rudy and, like, Notre Dame? And they go through and, like, they hit the sign and, like, play like a champion. Like, every utility is, like, don't let the lights go out. Like, don't kill grandma. Like, I'm pretty sure they just, like, have that sign, like, walking in. They're, like, this is the goal today. Like, keep the lights on. Uh, play like a champion. And so I think that's all they're focused on. And this next stage of like how we actually make the grid more resilient and all that. I just, I think it's the the thing, like part of the reason that Amperon's been successful is I don't even know what the overall value of our client base is, but it is. Uh, it's in the hundreds of billions, like of the companies that we work with. Like if you look at their market value, right? right. Our company is not worth that. Uh, but we're able to, there there's almost 30 of us now. And so we started with two, we were at 14 at the beginning of the year and we're made like four hires this week. So I think we're at 30. Um, and so we're able to do things that like one of our big clients, I think they're worth like 40 billion and we've been able to do stuff that they're not able to. And so it's because the, in startup world, you can be fast and nimble and Make a decision and like hire the top talent because you can tell them that you can let them work in Texas, then and if they want to work remotely, we let people work remotely before it was cool. And so you have this talent that isn't going to go work at the utility. And so they that's where I think the difference is, is that the utility's job is to keep the lights on. It's not to be innovative. It's just like, don't screw up. And so I think that the innovative people are the me of the world. And like why I definitely like, passionate about more venture capital getting to Houston because if we're going to fix this whole energy transition mess all the talents right here uh all the people who know how energy works like live in Houston so we're like we're the ones who should fix that so that's why I think also is just like these big companies you just can't like you can't get done you can't get stuff done you have a meeting about the meeting for the meeting then you have the meeting and then you have the post meeting and then you're like,
1: circulate the notes from the meeting, circulate
2: the notes. Like who, Oh, we didn't take notes. We got to redo the meeting. And so that's what just, there's no bureaucracy in startup land. Uh, and so you get to go out there and just get stuff done. So,
1: So, you know, we used to always say when I was running, when I was running the private equity firm was, you know, half our job is to make money. The other half is to not look stupid. (laughs) <laughs> right. And so, you know, if you're ERCOT and the lights go out, you look really stupid. For sure. So
2: this is not how they want to get popular. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, Sean, you moved the company from New York back to Houston. And I have a big belief that all energy companies need to be in Houston. Yeah. Well, what was the thought process there? And
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Houston's very, very business friendly um, outside of the fact that our our customers were here. We got an, um, we got an eleven percent raise on our take home because of no state and city taxes uh, from New York. Um, it's easier to hire here. Like the cost of living is so much better. Um, I mean, all the energy talents here. So we have, yeah, of our roughly thirty employees, uh, I guess eight are in Houston. So we actually like flew a couple of people in. Our next biggest makeup is Boston. We've got a few people there, and then our Boston, New York. I think there's three people in each, um, and then. Uh, We've got people overseas, like everywhere. So we started the company remote and then again, remote got cool. Like, and so, but when COVID hit, we were, we were hit firing on all cylinders from like day one. And so, yeah, but Houston just, it's a great place to have a headquarters. And again, half my client base is here. So I can very easily like see them go like they're all, I mean, our office is in Midtown. I get to, I don't know, dozen clients in five minutes.
1: Well, and you, you said earlier, though, that you had to almost start in New York to be able to attract money, but that that's changed.
2: What have That's you changing.
1: Changing. Okay, and so,
2: yeah, in New York, there's a very, very vibrant venture capital scene. And so that's something that I'm very passionate about. We found a great, like, we could not have had better first investors, uh, Nick and Alex from Notation Capital, they're in Brooklyn. And so they saw us and they were like, hey, this is a good founder fit team. We think energy is in- interesting. We know nothing about it, but we're interested in it. We think that this is going somewhere. And so that was the thesis. My co-founder Abe has had no background in energy, and he said, hey, I like time series data, and I think that this is where everything's headed from the energy standpoint, and I see an old archaic industry, and I saw an old archaic industry, and but that needed technology. And so when in New York, you saw all these people and everyone's like disrupting and co-founding and like all these things like starting companies that are like apps and like selling advertisements and they work at Google and they work at Facebook and all that. And I was like, so the grid's a real problem, like not to take away from any apps, but I lived my life for a long time without any apps. I've never lived my life without electricity. Um, And so what if we took this really talented base of engineers and brought them to like brought them to Houston uh, and let them work on the types of problems that we're uh, dealing with just with the grid. And so that's what we've done is we've hired these top engineers and data scientists, but then we're answering problems that the big clients, like our big clientele here are paying attention to. And so, I mean, here's the basis of you've got, I mean, everyone you look downtown it's like shell BP Chevron like Exxon like everyone um and so yeah we've just now that data science talent that data engineering talent wasn't here um but unfortunately we have not had a ton of success hiring uh for technical skills in Houston uh we ha- there's commercial people for days and days we've hired some of the top commercial people um in the industry to come work on this problem and um but th- we're still getting better on on the tech side. And so there's a thing we just started like I went to A&M and so called Aggies in Tech. So Rice does a pretty good job on the technical side. Uh, their business fair or the business plan competition is unbelievable. a uh, and is doing a good job now. I was just there last weekend in College Station for a trip uh, trading risk investing program. And so they teach them to be like really high end analyst, but they teach them Python, which is like <laughs> the best language uh that everyone should know especially people that are in their 20s and coming out looking for jobs um but then we just founded uh got him jesse martinez founded aggies in tech and so he's like aggies need to know that if they want to work in tech they don't have to go to silicon valley they don't have to go to new york like there's a home for them here a much cheaper home um and so just bringing that tech talent back is helpful but also if you go to venture that tech talent will eventually want to start companies it should want to start companies that's who you want starting companies and so you have to have that venture capital there to give them an idea we raised eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars off of just an idea and notation was the one there to help us raise that round and it it spurred this and now i employ a bunch of people and we have a good bit of revenue and a bunch of clients and saving people i mean millions upon millions of dollars Uh, especially in these crazy events. And that was all because of like an $860,000 check from them and a few other people. So Houston needs to understand that if we're going to like fully embrace the energy transition, people need to fund it. And so everyone here knows what private equity is. Like obviously that's your background, but those checks are like, have lots of zeros on them. Sometimes to see if you have product market fit, you just need a million or 2 million bucks. You don't need like 50 or 100 and so that's where like venture really comes in and so that's one of the things that i like that aggies and tech is hopefully bringing in Uh, greentown labs showing up here and like the ion showing up here is unbelievable um like just the cannons next door just the fact that you now have all these investors who are writing these smaller like checks and angel checks but giving people a good valuation and saying like let me help you along the way so that's definitely what i that that would probably be my next act is going like help early stage companies just because I've been fortunate to have some good people help me. But Houston should not be as where they're ranked in venture capital funding. They're really high in private equity and really low in venture. Yeah, I think what
1: happened is kind of a couple of things. One, it was really natural gas partners that created private equity and yeah. it just gravitated to oil and gas. For and sure. And you have some success. What do you have? Copycats. So yep. you had – Quantum cap at all, everybody else doing it, and it just got niched in there. And you had L.E. Simmons and First Reserve kind of doing oil field service, and that's just where it built up. And then I think what happened just kind of technology-wise is, and I've talked a lot about this on the podcast too, is oil and gas companies just have a tendency to be lottery ticket businesses, yeah, meaning... If I can drill horizontally and do a modern frack, I will spend all the money in the world and I will become so great at that because that's a lottery ticket. Yeah, all of a yeah. sudden I can be rich overnight. Yep. Digitizing my land files so that I can shave 10 cents off a land transaction, nah, that's boring. I'm not going to do yep. that. So I have paper and, and pen. And so we've just been yeah. kind of behind the eight ball on certain aspects of technology because nobody was doing that, the the oil and gas private equity guys never had any venture yeah. type opportunities. Makes so sense. You just didn't build that culture, you know.
2: That makes a ton of sense. Austin, actually,
1: Austin kind of has more of that culture, and you had Austin Ventures pop up in early days and all. But that's yep. That's what
2: uh. Yeah, that thesis makes a ton of sense, and it it does. But it, again, there's no reason we can't change it. Um, and so again, with the with from an energy like. Houston, I think especially energy is really good on a B2B standpoint from a business side, but Austin's really good at like business to consumer. I know they've taken some like big Houston companies and like, it's, that's the great city for like business to consumer. Whereas like we can still be like the business to business. And obviously they're going to, the Houston Austin fights always going to happen. Dallas never really showed up to the fight in the venture game. I don't know why. So that's all right.
1: We don't don't like Dallas. We don't like Dallas. That's that's fine. The, uh, I love that meme where it's like, you know, let's build a wall and it's walling Dallas off into Oklahoma. I'm totally down with that. And I was born in Dallas, so I shouldn't say that. But, uh, no, I think, I think the, when you just look at energy and kind of like the whole history of energy, we were talking a little bit about this earlier is you really can't transition unless you leverage the existing infrastructure. Yeah. And I mean I think if we think we're going to have a hydrogen-based economy. Okay, that's great. How can that happen in Boston? There's nobody that runs a pipeline company in Boston. No. I mean and pipelines are potentially going to be used to move hydrogen yeah. around or whatever the case may be. So it's got to happen here. And I do think I do think the Greater Houston Partnership's been really good about. They've done a great it. job. Bobby Tudor's done a good job of. Yeah, for that sure. Up. And Jane Stricker's great. Yeah. Was kind of in charge of it.
2: So. Yeah, Bob Harvey's how I got involved with that, and he's he's CEO over there, and Bobby Tudor does a great job as well. Um, but yeah, he he literally, I sent him an email when I was a junior, or senior, in, uh in college, and it was like, Mister Harvey, you are the best Aggie in Energy. Like, what should I do when I grow up? And so he took me to lunch over and like Wacy's table and sat me down and was like, "Hey, this is blah blah blah." And so we reconnected. I don't know, probably like five, seven years ago. And so it's been great to work with Greater Houston Partnership and just know that like a city like this has advocates like that and also people of that caliber of the Bob Harvey, Bobby Tutor. uh like I mean, the fact that those people are giving their time <laughs> to like help make the city great is really really impressive
1: yeah i've always you know i've always said say what you want about houston it's an ugly city i mean right it's basically flat
2: it's flat Uh, we made all our money in the 80s so we're still getting rid of all the green glass buildings yeah we
1: uh uh, we have the climate of a third world country i mean (laughs) you know I, i say all that but but i do say to anyone that'll listen to me wherever i am no greater people on the
2: planet yeah i mean no greater people and now no greater food the food totally. is unbelievable. Totally. So, yeah, it's we went to an awesome dinner last night because my whole team was here and, like, the 10 of us went. And I was like, man, this is great. And, uh, like, yeah, the dining scene here is phenomenal. And I've lived in New York and Chicago and Dallas. And it, it's it's not, like, each city has its own, especially, like, New York and Chicago has its own, like, nuances in the food thing. But Houston can definitely hang. Uh so no it's been it's fun to do that. Time Magazine
1: heights. Time Magazine voted us the number 1 food city in America. Actually that's awesome. above New Orleans, above Las Vegas.
2: Man, above New Orleans is that's strong. Yeah. So I love New Orleans food.
1: All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot to close out the uh the podcast. Give me two predictions for what we'll call power technology Give me a five-year prediction that I haven't heard any other place, and give me a 10-year prediction of just something. I've given you something so wide you can drive a bus through it. So I haven't pinned you down that bad, but I have put you on the spot.
2: A five-year prediction and a 10-year prediction. All right. Five-year, this may be like wishful thinking. Okay. I think in the next five years, we will not see another blackout event like we saw in february 21 so i think that archive did a good job of managing things uh this summer um for how hot it was this summer was the like hottest on record uh since like the 1890s or something like that um and so they did a great job managing the grid and now with the winterization of uh, a lot of the units and things like that, because the issue was with gas and the fact there was no wind because the wind turbines were frozen and all of that. I do not think in the next five years we have another um, like event like that with complete on the complete. I like that prediction. All right. So I'll go there. I'll take then... the
1: under, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Again, might be wishful thinking, but, you know, that was great. We were uh, six months pregnant at that time and lost power for 48 hours. Ooh. So. Um, also, yeah, maybe in, in trader world, we'd call that talking our book. (laughs) Yeah. so a 10 year prediction. Let's see, we are in 22. So in 32, I think by 2032, um, I think Houston will be a top 10 venture capital city in the United States. So,
1: and give me, so, so give me two things that need to happen, uh, for, for that prediction to become true. What, um, do you, what do you think we're missing now? We've obviously, you brought up some good steps we've made, the ION, yeah. Greentown Labs. What else do we need to be doing?
2: I think uh, part of it is just in all honesty, valuations. Um, they need to have fair valuations that give the person who's taking the risk, i.e. the founder, um, to put them in a good situation. People in Houston Because of private equity, are used to saying, like, what is my return on this? Three times even
1: dah, boy. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Exactly.
2: So I think that they need to work on that and understand, like, yeah, we got given three million, like three million dollars of evaluation for an idea. And if we hadn't of so we're like, okay, great, you gotta sell. I mean, the going rate is 20-ish percent of the company per round, especially in like the software base, because we don't have hardware. But I think valuation's getting better um is one of the things and then I think that you need you need one of the big players to make an actual stake in this you need a like a Sequoia Andreessen like one like a Google Ventures someone like that to come here and be like we're doing this
1: open an office, and so open
2: an office and basically because everyone follows everyone just everyone follows especially in every space but especially in BC like for us we went around and we had an early commitment from someone who is in our round Riverstone uh, out of their Austin office, which is great. And then we got a term sheet and then they just came. We got an an offer and then the term sheets kept coming in and then people kept wanting to invest in the round. So once you got that sign off, then like, oh, my gosh, like HSBC led the round. uh, And then like a bunch of other people were involved. But we got to turn away like a bunch of money, which was great because everyone's like, oh, my gosh, they said Amperon's a good idea. We're all going that way. So if an Andreessen, uh, like Union Square Ventures, uh, like someone of that clout, when you hear like, this is who it is, uh, then like that I think would be the step. If, so if one of them moved and said, we're going to open a Houston office and we're going to like actually like make a presence, there may be one that has a Houston office, but actually come here and make a presence, um, then I think that would really change the game. Because every everyone follows. If, if one of those like massive multi-billion dollar uh, like VCs set down foot. All the rest would be like, "What do they see that we didn't see? We've got to move to Houston, and then everyone would just follow suit."
1: So, Mark Andreessen, you're welcome to come on the podcast. Come to Houston. We'll feed you. <laughs> for we'll sure. feed you well. And uh, you know, it's been two some odd years that I've been unemployed, but I'll work on my resume for you, Mark.
2: So, uh, <laughs> how's that, Sean? You were great to come on. Hey, I this was awesome. This was a lot of fun. <laughs>